a radio show that confesses Christ without confusing the law and the gospel. A radio show that takes scripture seriously without taking ourselves so seriously. You're listening to Table Talk Radio. To see to see the face of God is to be destroyed. So God now veils himself in in the flesh and blood of Jesus and he uses that those means namely his flesh and his blood his life and and his death he uses those means to save us and when we were baptized at the font with God's name placed upon us in the name of the Father the Son and the Holy Spirit with the sign of the cross being placed upon our forehead and our hearts marking as ones redeemed we were adopted as sons of God uh, I think. Oh, huh? 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 <laughs> oh, oh, are we doing the show now? Is the theme over? Welcome back for another edition of Table Talk Radio. Your praise song crunching jerks at your service here on Table Talk Radio, <laughs> and oh, home of the brand new game Meet Your Neighbor the Cult Member. <laughs> How can it get better than that? The, uh, yeah. So, so high expectations. Answer. Time. The answer, by the way, is. Easily. <laughs> There's a handful of Is there a, a Jane Treadmill warning for this show? Maybe. Watch out, <laughs> We're Jane. We're never really Second sure segment, ourselves. as we introduce this new game, Meet Your Neighborhood Cult Member. Jane, I'm it's, pretty, like the dating, I'm, it's like the dating game for you. Jane, I'm pretty fact, sure it's we'll, safe. We'll combine Don't worry. it with the dating game. We'll, 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 uh, we'll see if you, would, if you would be willing to date someone who um, holds to these different doctrines. <laughs> Are you talking to the listener? No, you. You're playing. You're the contestant. I thought that was the hypothetical you. This is the this is the cult member dating game. Thanks. Uh, how'd you know? How'd you know I had a thing for cult members? Boy, you you're starting to get to know me pretty well. Uh, no worries. Not not only is this uh, show safe for treadmills, it's also safe for the bench press this time. So. I think you're you're quite all right to to do any kind of you know operate heavy machinery. I mean this is this is going to be fine. So uh, that's all it for today's show. We have to start out with doing some buzzwords. So my theological buzzword for you, Pastor Wolf Mueller, <laughs> is divine accommodation. You won't find this in your Lutheran <laughs> theology books. You'll have to go to your Calvinist friends for this. Uh, but the divine accommodation means that God has accommodated various truths about Himself and the world in such a way that they can be comprehended by the human mind. Yeah, so what do you think of that? Uh, yes, I think this is the most ridiculous thing. <laughs> I, I don't know how, what... I don't know how. Anyway, so, so you, you know, you have, we, there's two ways we know about God, right? We know naturally... Oh, hey, I've, I sorted something out about this yesterday. Uh, we have the natural knowledge of God and revealed knowledge of God. And natural knowledge of God comes to us in two ways, externally and internally. Externally through creation, internally through the conscience. But the revealed knowledge of God only comes to us externally. Uh, Calvinists got that? Externally through the written word of God. Now, what the Calvinists come along and say God accommodates himself to our limited understanding. Uh, and Which, I, insofar as that... Is that what it said, a co- divine accommodation? I mean, I guess that's true, but how in the world do you know it? I mean, how do the Calvinists know that there's more to know about God than what we can know about God? I mean, to to know what you can't know, thats you can't know that. So the, <laughs> so the point is, you can't... 
you can't know if there's more to know about God than what he's told you about himself. And the problem is when the Calvinists come along and they say, and we actually know better about God than just what the Bible tells us. <laughs> no, no, oh! Okay, so I want you to analyze problem, this, this next sentence from Theopedia.com. Uh, right. uh, accommodation is both a corollary of divine revelation, how God reveals himself, and hermeneutics, how we interpret the Bible. Say it again. Accommodation is both a corollary of divine revelation, how God reveals himself, and hermeneutics, how mm-hmm. we interpret the Bible. Yeah. So it sounds to me know. like the way we interpret the Bible is... Um, uh, is also a way that God accommodates himself. In other words, it wouldn't be just in the in the objective divine revelation how God reveals himself, but is also how we interpret it. So this is kind of the Mormon stick, right? That uh, uh, I believe in the Bible insofar as it's interpreted correctly. <laughs> I know. It's this kind of thing. Is So the Calvinists, so by the, the scriptures come along and they say that God feels sympathy or something like this. And they say, well, we know God can't feel sympathy. So this is a accommodation to our own thing well first of all how do you know god can't feel sympathy especially when he sits there and tells you that he feels sympathy <laughs> what do you, you know, well we know better about god we know what god can and can't do so whenever he says he can do something that we know he can't do then we say it's an accommodation oh my goodness <laughs> crazy calvinists uh so this is uh i think um at least on this latter part that i read here um, where the Lutheran uh, belief of the clarity of Scripture comes in, that the Bible is yes. clear. That's a nice, that's a nice yeah. little doctrine there. That that we can believe that, nice. that, that, the, just... <laughs> that the Bible is understandable, and that uh, that uh, one can just pick it up and read it and and know what it means. Yeah, and you don't want, to, and you're not always trying to look behind the Bible. I mean, that's everyone wants to look behind the Bible. Well, my, if it just says it, then just let it say it. Right. All right, do you have a buzzword for me? All right, so bring it on, Calvinists. You know we love you. You know. Oh, there's more where that came maybe. from in this show. <laughs> oh, there is. Now you know we. How do we love you? We we. You know that we might love you. You might be one of the ones that we love. Anyway. Probably. Uh, yes, I gotta. Uh, <laughs> You gotta if you feel it on the heart that we love you, then you then that's the confirmation. Well, we're accommodating. We say we love you <laughs> to the Calvinist way of thinking here. We love some of you, others we hate. We're not going to tell you which. Neo paganism—that is my buzzword for you. Okay. A term for describing ancient practitioners of paganism or v- village religions. Paganism means village, apparently. The ancient forms of paganism included the cultic mystery religions, such as, excite, uh, such as existed during the time of the Roman Empire, the ancient Celtic religions, the Germanic and Gothic religions, and the like. Neo-paganism is a revival of these ancient religions in modern times, the nature of which is chiefly revolving around the themes of earth worship, which is the essence of witchcraft. That, by the way, is reading from the Encyclopedic Dictionary of Cults, Sects, and World Religions, the existence of which book in my library is the basis of our new game. I was just getting ready to Who say... Who wants to date your neighborhood um, cult member? I just thought of a new Table Talk radio game, and that is, guess which book Pastor Wolfman is reading currently based on his show prep. <laughs> <laughs> That's right. <laughs> So, okay. I don't. You know, I read one book and it shows up in the blog on the <laughs> Worldwide Wolfmuller. It shows up in our in our radio show. It shows up in my Bible class and sermons. 
And then it shows up in my Bible class and sermons. <laughs> <laughs> I'll let you do all, the, all my uh, my work preparation for me. <laughs> all right. So uh, those are the nice. buzzwords. Uh, divine accommodation and neo-paganism. Uh, now let's get to the email. Uh, do you have this email? Okay. Maybe, or? I've, I've got, I'm getting it. I'm getting it. Uh, yeah, so so we have our um, our official Calvinist blogger. Is that who wrote, who wrote in that we're um, responding to? Ruben. Here? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Oh wait a minute. I, I have a I have his old one here. Oh here's his new one. Oh yes, my man Bombaro. He says, "Hey Radio no, Clowns, no, no, no. we're going to gonna do hear my on, local. We're going to do them on confessions, right? Oh, okay, okay. So okay. send that send my good. regards to Lumpy, who has managed to summarize Calvinists in words that that Calvinists. Uh, oh, or we least, haven't this read one. this one yet. No. <laughs> You want to do it? Oh, this is a great one. Yeah, yeah, okay. I got it now. I got it. Uh, send regards to Lumpy. I will. That Lumpy is a jerk. <laughs> okay. You want me to read it? The uh, Lumpy, though, is summarized Calvinists in words that Calvinists, or at least this one, would affirm as their own. The cross is indeed efficacious, and no one is atoned for who is not also predestined, called, justified, and glorified. That's in the Bible. You should look it up. Probably talking about the text in Romans, which... Uh, we'll, we'll have to take a, uh, we'll have to open that text up for Reuben here, uh, someday. But, um, that's nice that Lumpy actually, uh, wasn't just, um, what's it called when you make fun of someone by getting their doctrine wrong? He wasn't know. doing that. Misrepresentation? I don't know. <laughs> yeah, good for Lumpy. It's not correct to say, however, that we Calvinists have no distinction between the way that salvation is won and the way it's distributed. Not only do we cherish this distinction, we also have a better name for it. See John Murray's landmark book, Redemption, Accomplished and Applied. Note, if you want to know about effectual, see, and here's some notes to some catechism or something. Also, in terms of who got, who's got how many confessions, I'm not going to sit back and let you lutes pretend your confessional landscape is all neat and tidy while we Calvinists are all over the map. The answer to the question, how many confessions do Calvinists have, is six in two bunches of threes. Two bunches of three. The Westminster Standards Confession, that's Westminster Confession, the larger and shorter catechisms, coming from the English Reformation, and the three forms of unity, the Heidelberg Catechism, the Belgic Confession, and the Canons of Dort. Dort, that's an extra D, coming from our continental brethren. <laughs> With a note, this is my favorite part of the whole email. A few caveats. You must allow Calvinists some footnotes. <laughs> yes, of course. First, there's the PCUSA, but let's make a deal. You keep the PCA, PCUSA out of the discussion, and I won't bring up the ELCA. PCUSA is the Presbyterian Church, uh, United States of America. ELCA is the Evangelical Lutheran Church of America, the, the libs, who don't believe anything anymore, much less the confessions. Second, there are strange beasties out there that call themselves Reformed Baptists, and they have different confessional standards, like the Savoy Declaration and the London and Philadelphia Baptist Confessions. But, and I'll have to get to the but here after the break, I think. So. Yes, so let's go to this commercial break, and we'll continue this email from our official Calvinist blogger, Ruben. You are listening to Table Talk Radio. Then after that, we're going to play Meet Your Neighbor, the Cult Member, only on Table Talk Radio. We get along, get along, get along Why, oh why Can't we get along, get along, get along Why do people turn against It's not a radio show, it's a relationship. Stay tuned for more Table Talk Radio.
It's a beautiful day in this neighborhood, a beautiful day for a neighbor. Would you be mine? Could you be mine? It's a neighbor. And welcome back to Table Talk Radio. Before the commercial break, we were uh, reading this email from Ruben. And before we get into Meet Your Neighbor, the Colt member, we need to finish this up. So what, uh, pick up where you left off, Pastor Wolf. I think see Reuben is he's in a chafing a little bit because we said that the Calvinists had an unknown number of confessions. Uh, so th- this is part of the hidden knowledge of God how many confessions the Calvinists had. And he says no no there's only six. But then now we're reading a footnote where he says there's a so so there's these he says uh, there's strange beasties called Reformed Baptists. They have confessional standards like the Savoy Declaration, the London and Philadelphia Baptist confessions. But those are really just the Westminster Confession edited to say oh yeah what they said but don't baptize babies, and B, Reformed Baptists are not truly Reformed anyways, merely predestinarian. <sighs> Third, this is the caveat. Hey, Third listener, caveat. if you're getting tired, we are too. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Westminster and Belgic have both been revised slightly from their original form, but the effect was merely to move towards a better, that is, Lutheran understanding of the two kingdoms. Uh, uh, keep the government and the church out of each other's business. Now, uh, so how how many? So we have one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten, eleven, so far. Okay. Uh, whatever. Where I'm now back to the main body of this thing here. There is no disagreement between the two groups. Continental and Presbyterian brethren use each use each other's standards all the time. Another footnote. I, this is, the OCB is the only person I know who puts so many footnotes in an email. He notes, one of my Calvinist blogs, Daily Confession, disseminates all six forms of unity throughout the year to 169 email subscribers and unknown millions of RSS subscribers, I'm sure. That's like the distinction between uh, those who are called and those who are chosen. That beats... <laughs> That's my no. <laughs> that beats table talk listening audience by the same factor as the formula of Concord is larger than the Reformed Confessions. I don't know if I'm going to sit here and take this for much longer. Ruben <laughs> continues. Uh, let's see here. And I bet there's less separation between us than there is between Missouri Synod and Wells. Is this a case for Lumpy? Answer, no. On the other hand, <laughs> let's look at the Book of Concord. A jumble of nine creeds, confessions, catechisms, declarations, defenses, epitomies, and treatises. Or is it ten? Does the catalog of testimonies count? Or how about the visitation articles? You lutes and your confessions are all over the place. I can't keep track. No footnotes. <sighs> my, <laughs> by my rough estimate, all six Reformed confessional artifacts come to about a tidy 60,000 words, while my best estimate is that the Book of Concord weighs in at least 300,000. And if that's not enough... I think the deciding factor must be this. At least we don't bind our members to confess that garlic juice impedes the natural power of magnets. Reuben. Boy. Someone's been a busy bee. <laughs> there, uh, doesn't Melanchthon at some point in the Lutheran Confessions talks about... What, I can't remember what uh, he's he's using illustrating. And he uh, brings up the fact that they, they thought that garlic juice uh, would mess up the magnetic fields. That's just what they thought back then. And, in fact, well, we are not uh, confessionally bound to, to that. Nor are yeah. we confessionally bound to the um, exegetical explanations of the text, but we must believe that the teaching um, of the document is taught in Holy Scripture. So, for example, right. if if they were using if they were arguing for 
um, election and then used a, a particular verse to prove that. Yet, at a closer look, this particular verse um, didn't really prove that. Um, we wouldn't be bound to that extrajudicial interpretation, but we would be bound to the teaching of election. Right. Now, I got to, so, so the, I'm going to put Lumpy on this. Ready? Here's Lumpy's new assignment. How many Calvinistic confessions are there? And, and we'll start with uh, uh, Reuben's assertion that there's six, and then just start adding to the list from there. <laughs> okay. Uh, I happen to think that the Book of Concord is rather, rather tidy. What do you think? Uh, yeah, I do too. Although, you see, the Book of Concord uh, um, is doing the, these. The, the Book of Concord is messy in this sense: is that it's dealing with um, it's dealing with the real problems that were in the church there. So it's not a complete or systematic doctrine, but it's saying, hey, look, here's the errors, and here's how we're going to address them. So it's a they're, it's they're specific documents with specific words against specific errors to uh, teach a certain truths. So it doesn't come to us as a systematic theology, but rather as um uh, as an exposition of the biblical truth against certain errors. 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 <laughs> okay. Error. Are you ready to play Meet Your Neighbor, the Cult Member? Oh yeah, that's right. I am. Okay. So how this this is your game? I'll let you explain it. How this game goes is I'm going to read uh, – oh, where – oh, I had it here, but I changed – I looked to the back to get the, my neo-paganism definition. That's okay. <laughs> I'll find it here. Uh, I'm going to read to you about a certain cult uh, doctrine, and then I'm going to give you three uh, options, and you have to guess which that is. Okay. So does this mean – is this one of those games that I have to listen to? You have to listen to me read, and and then you, uh, I'll invite you to make comment along the way uh, using your discernment uh, by carefully listening. Now, I'm gonna I'm gonna give the name of this cult member. Um, how about Julia? <laughs> See, why why would you pick a feminine name? I just don't get it. No, no I don't. I don't know. <laughs> Julia is a movement defined by black nationalism. Combined with a distinctive theology that advances the idea of the superiority of the African peoples and the black race. Julia joins the ranks of other groups that are informed by race and ethnicity. There. So there's the first uh, line of it. Okay. You got any ideas so far? <laughs> no. <laughs> uh. <laughs> the story of Julia is the story of the black nationalist movement that began in the 1920s and 30s. Marcus Garvey. 80, uh, 1887 to 1940, a prominent leader of this movement, was born in Jamaica and in 1914 founded the Universal Negro Improvement Association and the, um, and the African Communities League. The Garvey's mission was to... Uh, National League. The, N, the U-N-A-A-N-L. Is that right? Uh, U-N-I, Improvement. Oh, a. Improvement. A-C-L. Okay. Garvey's mission was to bring blacks to the consciousness of their own sense of history, self-esteem, and destiny. He was able to garner much support for his cause in America, particularly among black urban masses. In 1927, he prophesied, look to Africa, where a black king shall be crowned, for the day of deliverance is here. <laughs> wow, I have never heard of this before. No, I, I you have, you have. You just don't know the details. Okay, is this multiple choice? Uh, yeah, I'll give you multiple choice. I'm going to get, go in a little bit uh, more, and then I'll get you some theology here. Okay. Three years later, in 1930, Ross uh, Makonen, 
1893 to 1975, was crowned Emperor Selassie of Ethiopia. Makonan immediately was recognized by the ostentatious title King of Kings, Lord of Lords, His Imperial Majesty of the Conquering Lion of the Tribe of Judah, Elect of God. This event was hailed as the fulfillment of Garvey's prophecy. Okay? Okay. So there's history. All right, I'm going to go to some beliefs over here. Okay, the basic so, so, beliefs of So, so far, Julia, uh, so far, <laughs> could you get to the more personals of Julia? Does she like uh, movies? Is she, is she into, uh, this is this is kind of what I'm really into. But anyway, on, what, what does she believe? <laughs> the basic beliefs of Julia were summarized by Howell as follows. Hatred of the white race, superiority of the black race, revenge on the white race for its wickedness, Negation, persecution, and humiliation of the Jamaican government and all legal bodies of Jamaica. Preparation for a return to Africa. And the acknowledgement of Selassie as the supreme being. What is this Selassie? I forgot. I know, but so um, far I think things are going to work out great. <laughs> the eschatological vision of Julia uh, lies in the belief that blacks will one day return to their true spiritual home, Ethiopia, while the right race returns to Europe. Three important terms in the teaching of Julia are as follows. One, Babylon, the white political power structure that Julia must war against and eventually destroy. I and I, the concept that all of what constitutes God resides within and that there is a oneness that unites all. This oneness does not exempt one, however, from the need to worship Selassie as the supreme being. And Jah, the Julia word for God. Yah, J-A-H, will rule over his people and one day lead them back to Ethiopia, the equivalent of heaven on earth. Uh, I don't really have anything to say about this other than that, and that we could say this about all of them, just the, I, I think it's interesting um, how these cults are formed because they're um, they're all building on man's natural religion, right? So the natural religion uh, always focuses on man's works, um, and it just goes from there. I met a pastor um, who said that when he was in uh, college, um, uh, he, one of the assignments was to create a cult. <laughs> and so you had to use the premises of, of natural, uh, natural religion to, uh, to try and create a cult that would be appealing to people. And I guess this professor did this little project once and never again because it was just way too scary. <laughs> so we, we're running uh, shy on time. Do you want to give me uh, the... the uh, yeah, here's your options. Is Julia A, a Mormon, B, a Sufist, or C, a Rastafarian? Okay, I'm going to... Um, now, this is concerning because the little thing that you told me before is I've heard of this. And I've only heard of really one of those, and that would be Mormonism. However, I happen to know the uh, early teachings of Mormonism and its view on African Americans, um, that being that they were the uh, those who remain neutral in the vote for Jesus or uh, for Satan. And if you remain neutral, you came to earth as, a, as an African American. <laughs> so I'll tell you what, I'll, I'll give my guess on the other side of this break to hold everybody in suspense before we get into the praise song cruncher. You're listening to Table Talk Radio. We'll finish up Meet Your Neighbor, the cult member, and the praise song cruncher right after.
Table Talk Radio. It's like spinach. We know you don't want to, but it's good for you. Welcome back to Table Talk Radio. We are about to play the Praise Song Cruncher. Before we do, I need to come up with an answer for uh, Julie. Is Julie my neighbor? What cult is she in? And what are my options again, Pastor Wolf Mueller? Uh, Mormonism, Sufism, and Rastafarianism. I'm going to go with Sufism. B. This is the Rastafarian. You never heard of the Rastafarians? Nope. This is a new one. I'm, I, but I wasn't around in 1912, so... Many Rastafarians grow dreadlocks and smoke ganja. <laughs> However, the last decade, most of which is strictly religious impulse has now become secularized. The dreadlocks are now much more popular in trendy fashion than they are a religious symbol. Their music, called reggae, originated in Jamaica but has gained wide acceptance in the United States. In the United States, the feminist movement has radically changed the way that women's roles were traditionally defined in this traditionally patriarchal society. What does that have to do with this? Um, yeah. Okay. Rastafarianism. Well, you know. They say you, you learn something every day, and the chance well, of that... Bob ha- Marley was a Rastafari. I was just see? thinking Bob Marley, too. Um, mm. but I was thinking, you know, you learn something every day, and the chance of that happening in the 48 minutes of Table Talk Radio is pretty slim. Um, <laughs> so at least uh, it's, a, it's a good day in my mind. All right, time Whoa. for the, the Praise Song Cruncher. Now, if you haven't uh, seen our Praise Song Cruncher, you can go to our hey, website. Hey, that game was pretty good. I like that game. Do you? Uh, we'll see mm. if it makes it back to the air. It might be kind of like uh, Church Father or or Which Century or uh, Page for Points. These are all these are these are all wonderful games that only saw the light of day once. <laughs> if you haven't seen our Praise Song Cruncher, go to the tabletalkradio.org and click right there on the homepage. A copy of the Praise Song Cruncher 2.0. Now, Pastor Wolf Mueller, uh, yes. you have said before that uh, this Praise Song Cruncher would not be an in- insult to the seasoned praise song writer you know you go up to chris tomlin and say hey, uh chris your your praise song is mystical and he'd say oh thank you very much so um he'd probably say this sweet <laughs> so you i think uh in your presentation to the rocky mountain district um titled your presentation praise songs are mysticism and mysticism is bad so uh yes. maybe to introduce the praise song country this time you can tell us why is mysticism bad? Well, remember we were talking about this distinction between the revealed knowledge of God and the natural knowledge of God, and how the natural God, knowledge of God is on the outside and the inside. Uh, it's revealed in nature and in the conscience. But the revealed knowledge of God is only on the outside. It's only in the scriptures. It's the scriptures that give to us Christ and him crucified. Mysticism, on the other hand, is interested in knowing things on the inside. Uh, so the secret way of knowing, which is not by hearing or seeing, but the inside kind of knowing things. And so uh, mysticism, it, which clings to our sinful nature, is always trying to gauge God's uh, thoughts towards us by uh, whatever's happening on the inside. And the goal then of the praise song is to create some sort of internal action which indicates the nearness uh, of God. That's the goal of the praise song. Okay, uh, and this is yeah, and that's not good. And and this is um, 
critiqued in five different ways. Jesus, as he mentioned, to mystical form, which we'll talk about, mystical content, law and our gospel, and is there any explicit false teaching not already addressed? So this is the Praise on Crusher 2.0, again, available at our website, uh, tabletalkradio.org. Now, uh, did I send these to you? Do you have these? Yes. Okay. Um, sorry, I'm pulling it up here. Oh, yeah, the first one here, this is great. We got, a, we got an email from uh, Peter. He says, um, it's your non-Lutheran New Zealand listener here. Did you know we have listeners in New Zealand? I did not know that. So, Good day, Peter. Oh, wait, is that Australian? <laughs> Good day, Peter. We need Good day, Peter. <laughs> we need to have our uh, Australian pastor on again, Pastor Vanderhoek. Uh, that was a kick when we, <laughs> when we had him on. Good on you. Good on you, Peter. <laughs> Do you think they play the 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 didgeridoo as in, in praise music in in Australia? No, didgeridoo is Australian. That's why I said you, in Australia. We just cultural ninny. Oh, this is a, a, a New Zealand is a totally different place than Australia. I know this. That's why I said Australia. There's an ocean in between it. <laughs> and look, and New Zealanders are not, you know, New New Zealand. Here, here's the thing about New Zealand. It's this tiny little thing. Apparently, it's the most beautiful place on earth, and it also has the distinction of having a a, a town named Christchurch, which is an awesome name for a town, and also it has the distinction. Of being the home of where the Lord of the Rings filmed were, f- films were made, but uh, uh, really, other than that, it's kind of the little brother to Australia. Now, th- this will cause us to lose all our New Zealander listeners because they have this big uh, unadmitted inferiority complex. But it's like New Mexico <laughs> and Texas because, because, oh man, I shouldn't say this because you know you go to New Mexico and everyone talks about how bad Texans are and how annoying Texans are and everything like this. And then you go to Texas and they're like, there's a New Mexico? (laughs) (laughs) Where's the old Mexico? (laughs) Anyway, I'm sure Jason won't be offended by any of this at all. Peter won't probably either. Peter. (laughs) (laughs) I was talking about Jason. Peter, I'm sure, is a nice guy. (laughs) Gee whiz. Have you ever noticed? That's terrible. Have you ever noticed that that when our non- Why don't we just start this segment over? Have you ever noticed? Oh, yeah, he's a non-Luther. We're supposed to be welcoming. Yeah, yeah. Well, oh, I was just going to say, man. I think it's interesting Blown that our already. non-Lutheran listeners always have to distance themselves from Lutheranism when they write in. Although I suppose I would do the same thing if I was writing into a Calvinist radio show. If right. I was listening to a Calvinist radio show. Okay. Right. All right. Which but, a Calvinist radio show is like this. It's a secret. <laughs> I'm thinking all sorts of great things, but you can't know what they are. <laughs> Is Peter a Calvinist? Uh, I I think so, and this is the only reason. This is the only thing I have to go off of. He says, um, "Here's an idea for the praise song cruncher: crunch some children's songs. Children's songs aren't just annoying because they are catchy and get stuck in your head. They are annoying because of the huge emphasis on the law. But I think I found a good one, and the the good one he found is Mighty Mighty Savior by, get it, Sovereign Grace Praise." <laughs> Yeah. So that's probably some Arme- Armenian group. <laughs> so anyway, this is uh, Mighty Mighty Savior by Sovereign Grace Praise. No one is good. No one is holy before God. I need someone to cleanse me. No one is pure 
is too strong for me to conquer on my own. I need someone to help me. I am too weak. I cannot change my evil heart. I need someone to save me. But I'm so glad you died and rose again for helpless sinners like me. So that's the song Mighty Mighty Savior by Sovereign Grace Ministries. Let's see how it does in the praise song Cruncher. Is Jesus mentioned? If yes. I, by the way, have a new criteria, too, because I'm feeling guilty about all these bad things I said about New Zealand. So I'm going to know if this song actually brings me comfort. (laughs) <laughs> Ooh. Okay. Let's see. Is there, no one is good. Okay. Oh, is Jesus mentioned? Uh, yes, I'm. Gl- I'm so glad you rose and you died and rose again. So this is a song to Jesus. Correct and Savior. Savior. I mean, reference to Savior too implies talking to Jesus. So yes, Jesus mighty, mighty is Savior you are. mentioned. Uh, you okay? Wake up. Can you hear me yawn? Yes. <laughs> this is microphone is really good. I didn't. It wasn't like. Yeah. I'm boring myself my own radio show. <laughs> it's true. I haven't fallen asleep yet, but it's getting there. Uh, just review your blog post on uh, boredom is a sin. <laughs> All right, I'll go cover that. Number. Two, it's on the worldwide wolf mule there, by the way. Number two. The humbly uh, named mystical form. <laughs> truth, does the song use sentences with subject, verb, and object, or sentence fragments? I think it uses mostly sentences. I need someone to save me, but I'm so glad you died and rose again for helpless sinners like me. Sin is too strong for me to conquer on my own. I need someone to help me. Yeah, these are uh, these are sentences. Can't. What about repetition? What a mighty, mighty Savior you are. What a mighty, mighty savior you are. That's fairly repetitious, but... I not mean, bad, not bad. Yeah, and the stanzas are different. So I think this sure. is going to mark kind of low on the mystical form. What do you think? Like a yeah, three I think so. or two? Yes, let's put it at a two. Okay. Two, what about mystical content? First is immediate. Does, a God, does, does the song talk about an immediate experience of God, seeing, touching, feeling God directly? A little bit. You change my heart within. That's the within language there. But the rest, uh, I didn't see too much on the inside. Okay. Uh, romance. Song. Does this song? Uh, now we have a good a new litmus test for this question. Uh, the, the use. Wait. Of don't we have to go to a imagery. break? Oh, do isn't we? the music playing in the background already? Oh, it is. You're right. I couldn't hear it. <laughs> okay. Well, let's go to this commercial break, and then after this commercial break, we'll ask the the romance question to this song, Mighty Mighty Savior by Sovereign Grace. We'll be right back.
Table Talk Radio. After a while, you just get used to it. Welcome back to Table Talk Radio. We're just saying how time flies when you're having fun. Uh, you might even miss miss the <laughs> the bump music. So we've been doing this for like four hours. <laughs> okay. So now we're on the the question of uh, romantic imagery, and so we have a new litmus test for this. We're just going to insert Carrie's name in uh, in the oh, yeah. song. Uh, so let's see how this would would do here. I'll pull it up here. Um, uh, oh yeah, yeah. Uh, Carrie, uh, what a mighty, mighty savior you are, Carrie. What a mighty, mighty savior you are. You wash away my sin. Carrie can wash away my sin. Yeah. Right? <laughs> Carrie can change my heart within. Yeah, I don't think that works. What a mighty, mighty Carrie you are. I think uh, if you were singing, if you uh, was were reading this poem to her uh, at dinner before you guys go waltz dancing, I think um, she would not be impressed. So yeah, I, I th- I'm so glad Carrie died and rose again. It doesn't quite, it doesn't quite work out, does it? No. Okay, so this is not romantic. Uh, what about loss of self? Uh, no, I mean it just rubs up against it. I mean God does change our heart within. I mean it'd be kind of weird if your heart was on the outside. <laughs> So they got the locality right? Is that what you're saying? <laughs> yeah. Because a lot my of my heart's on the inside a lot, too. A lot of people don't understand that. A lot of people think that the heart is actually on the outside of the body. <laughs> <laughs> so, I mean, you can't criticize that, I guess, too much. So, uh, so it's all right. I don't know though, uh, because even even the regenerate has this old sinful heart. Um, so, I mean, I guess when talking about the heart, we even talk about uh, that there is a uh, a new creation, so that there's the right. the old flesh. This is your two will your two will idea, right? Right. And but you know when Ezekiel says, "You'll take my heart of stone and give me a heart of flesh," right? So, that's fine. Yeah. So I mean, remember I right. the the language of heart in uh, scripture is the the seat of the will. You know, we always think about the seat of emotion. You know, like uh, you know, Carrie says, uh, "Boy, Brian, that." That poem really touched my heart, um, but but that's not how it's used in Holy Scripture. <laughs> I guess she could say those words. <laughs> but uh, in Holy Scripture, it has to I don't know. Will. All this praise song crunching is actually not making me more romantic. <laughs> Complete sentences, please, children. <laughs> <laughs> Honey, a complete sentence. Yeah, I'd like a subject, <laughs> verb, object. <laughs> You're just making me more of a jerk. That's not hard to you, do. I okay, mean what, myself. What about? Uh, okay, we we're, we're already talked about the internal. What about subjective? Is, is this the uh, thing about no, God? No, it's not. It's. I, I mean, so, so, so see, sin is too strong for me to conquer on my own. True. I need someone to help me. True. I am too weak, true. I cannot change my evil heart, true. I need someone to save me, true. I'm so glad you died and rose again for helpless sinners like me, true. Okay, so... And objective, I suspect. Mystical content, I think, is going to go kind of low, too. What about, uh, maybe a two again, would that work? Yep. Okay, law and gospel. Yeah, there's law in here. No one is good. No one is holy before God. I need someone to cleanse me. 
No one is pure. No one is righteous in your sight. That's law and true. I need someone to save me. But I'm so glad you died and rose again for helpless sinners like me. True. Law and gospel. Okay. Explicit false teaching not already addressed. Now, I think under this can be, does this song bring me comfort? Yeah. So does this song yeah. bring you comfort? Yes. Although it's the, here's where uh, uh, here's where the song is weak. It says, you can wash away my sin. You mm. can change my heart within. True. But it doesn't, If it would be better to say, you wash away my sin. So it's not talking about what God can do. I mean, the kind of possibilities so, so he, he of multiple can action. If you're elect, because <laughs> this is sovereign grace ministry, it's if, possible for God to save you. There is something interesting about singing. Um, you know, so you sing about um, uh, that. I'm so glad you died, rose again, and then um, you sing in the chorus, "A mighty, mighty Savior you are." That rubs me the wrong way. Again, not that it's wrong. But it rubs me the wrong way because um, where we see our Savior is not in his mightiness. Where we see our Savior is is in his lowliness. Yeah. Um, so, it, I mean... The, the what whole... a lowly, lowly Savior you are. <laughs> I mean, it's just, it's just amazing that, um, that, that God wins our salvation and gives us the forgiveness of sins um, by him not being mighty. But yet, in our, in our praise songs, we have to sing about the mighty and sovereign God. Yeah, that's true. That's true. Uh, what is this? I was just looking at Second Corinthians 10, um, verse 1, where Paul says, Now I, Paul, myself, am pleading with you by the meekness and gentleness of Christ. That's the, the, So that Jesus, there's a meekness and gentleness with our Jesus. But you're right, that praise songs are always singing about the awesomeness and mightiness. It's, it's always, there's this strength language. It's just almost impossible to escape. In the praise song. Tis true. All right. So did this pass the cruncher? It did. All right. This next one that we got. Um, Whew. Pass the cruncher. Yeah. By the way, Peter, sorry for making fun of New Zealand. They're sensi- New Zealanders are sensitive about this. <laughs> We're going to hear about it for sure. <laughs> we probably ought to tell them, just give them a heads up that I made fun of New Zealand, that he might not want to listen. <laughs> I mean, the, whole, the island might, they're volcanic down there. You know, vol- New Zealand is a big volcano. The whole thing just might blow up. <laughs> All right, we need to get to this next praise song before we run out of time. Okay. This is from Richard. Okay. He says, Hi, I would like to thank you for what you do at Table Talk Radio. Uh, here, Whoa! Are, here are two songs, we'll have time to get to one, that I thought we that you could consider for the praise song, Cruncher, that I find uh, repetitively vague. <laughs> uh, and I know uh, for a fact that both of these songs have uh, been done as praise songs with groups and congregations I know of. So the first one that we'll do is uh, My Glorious, and this was written by Stuart Garand and Martin Smith, and this particular rendition is um, performed by Delirious.
I don't know. <laughs> yes. But the, and all will. How did he, all will say? How do you say the word "say"? I, I guess I shouldn't make fun of the way people pronounce things. Yeah, you're you're, you're in no position to talk about that. All right, mm. we need to to do this in two and a half minutes. So is Jesus Let's mentioned? Speed crunch. No Jesus. Uh, mystical form. Truth. Uh, subject. We're about subject. Object. The world will leave. God's bigger than the air I breathe. I don't know what that means. Uh, and all you ever do is change the old from new, great and glorious. Let the whole earth see. Not a sentence. God is bigger. The world. Will, God is bigger than the air I breathe. The world will leave. God will not sentence. Half are sentences. Okay. And the other half is not. Repetition. Yes. Repetition. Uh, <laughs> I mostly. Myself up. Hearts okay. awakening. Let the church bells <laughs> ring. What does that mean? Hearts awakening. Let the church bells ring. Hmm. <laughs> okay, so this is pretty high in mystical form. Yeah. Uh, eight? Or nine? God, yes. Okay. Uh, no, eight. Okay. Put an eight. eight. we got to leave room for okay, mystical something worse. Content, yes, yeah, true. Immediate. Hearts the song talking about the immediacy of God. is bigger God. than the air I breathe. Why always the air I breathe? Why not just the air? What is so <laughs> special about that? What is it about the air I breathe that always makes its way into the praise songs? I don't know. We do is change the old from new, great and glorious, let the whole earth sing, great and glorious. This is just, a, this, you know, this is not necessarily so mystical. This is just one of these. God is totally awesome, and when I say totally, I mean totally. <laughs> okay, romance. Hearts away. No, not too. There's, see, there's not too much romance. There's not too much content really at all. God is bigger than the air I breathe. God will save the day, and all will say. My glorious. What is that from? Is that a scripture that says that? I've never. It my glorious. I don't know. I'll I'll uh, I'll try to look for that. Um, as you answer, loss of self. Uh, also, I don't see that here. Do you? I mean, there's not much mystical well, content. God is this bigger is what I'm than, saying. Is that there's yeah, yeah. There's, there's not much content. There's really not much content. The world will leave. But isn't sort of the idea be, behind saying that um, uh, God is bigger than the air I breathe, um, in essence, getting at this loss of self? So it, it never says that I am losing myself, but why else would you be talking about how big God is? Yeah, I think so. God is bigger than the air I breathe. What? He's also bigger than... Everything <laughs> else. I mean, why do you pick that as something? Bi- is the air that you breathe even that big? Okay. Um, <laughs> what about? Uh, well, where where does this one get caught up on the mystical content? It's just completely repetitive. God okay. is awesome, awesome, awesome. All right. Uh, so did this one crash the cruncher? No. All Crunch. right. Crunch fail. All right. Thanks for listening to this edition of Table Talk Radio. Where the points are just as valuable as our knowledge of God's ability to accommodate our own knowledge. That's not really that funny, but it's true. We would like your feedback on today's show. Call us totally 1-800-385-SOLA. That's 1-800-385-SOLA. Or send us an email, questions at tabletalkradio.org. You can listen again to this show or any of our past shows on our website, tabletalkradio.org. 
Thanks for listening and tune in again next time to Table Talk Radio.